Australians seem unable to settle upon whether or not they want a, a voice to Parliament for the country's Indigenous people. A relatively simple question, with a yes or no answer. Australians go to the polls in just two days, that's Saturday, October 14, to decide whether or not the voice to Parliament should go ahead. Yes, a simple question with a really simple answer, a yes or no answer, and I just cannot imagine how we're ever going to get our heads around the idea of how we reach some sort of conclusion regarding the climate crisis. It's a much, much more complex question, an existential threat. It needs deep consideration, deep thought, and answers that go beyond our present understanding of most everything. Weird conspiracy theories devoid of fact surround the voice conversation. What chance have we got in ever, ever coming to some sort of conclusion about the climate crisis? As it is a vastly more complex question with incredibly complex answers. Yes, welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I am your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. This podcast is not about Saturday's voice to parliament referendum in Australia, but the complications and misinformation, disinformation that's being spread about that issue seems relevant to what's happening with the climate crisis. It's just alive with misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories. Here's a little background now. You would have been hearing a lot about the voice to parliament lately. So what is it? How might it work? And what's going to happen next? The voice would advise the Australian parliament and governments on matters relating to the social, economic and spiritual well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. It's part of a promise that the federal government campaigned on during the election to support in full the Uluru Statement from the Heart. The Uluru Statement from the Heart came out of a meeting in 2017 of hundreds of delegates from Indigenous communities all over the country. They came away with support for two things a voice enshrined in the Constitution so Indigenous people could have their voice heard and the Makarata Commission that would supervise treaty making and truth telling. At the Gama Festival in 2022, the Prime Minister revealed his government was going to start on the first component of the Statement from the Heart, enshrining the voice to Parliament in Australia's Constitution. Enshrining a voice in the Constitution gives the principles of respect and consultation strength and status. In order to enshrine the voice in the constitution, there needs to be a referendum. The government says that there will be a big publicly funded education campaign, but they won't be funding the yes or the no campaign. They will be letting you make up your own minds about it. For the record, I've already voted yes for the referendum and I've actively supported the yes campaign. Join me now as we listen to 90 seconds from Yale Climate Connections. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. As the climate warms, parts of Rwanda are becoming more vulnerable to floods and landslides. In some places, the nation's government has required residents to relocate to new planned villages in less dangerous areas. 
Lisa Dale is with the Columbia Climate School. Her team interviewed dozens of Rwandans who moved from two rural islands on Lake Raru. All of them said they wanted to relocate. Their new village is less isolated, and they can access important services there. Things like access to health care for the first time in people's lives, access to transportation, access to electricity, access to school. But they also face new struggles. In the past, families sustained themselves by fishing and farming. They can no longer fish because they're inland, and they find that their crops don't grow. The eastern province where this village is located is well known for being hot and dry. So the transition has been difficult. Dale's research underscores the complexity of climate migration. Relocation holds the promise of making people safer and can improve their lives in multiple ways. But it can also introduce new challenges that require ongoing support to overcome. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Come with me now as we shift to the New York Times, and we have a story by David Wallace-Wells that has the headline, The Pope's Journey to Climate Outrage. The story begins. In 2015, Pope Francis came out as an environmentalist. With his landmark encyclical, Laudato Si, later called by Bill McKibben, the most important document of this millennium, and by Panjaga Mishra, arguably the most important piece of intellectual criticism in our time. Last week, with a follow-up apostolic exhortation called Laudatium, the Pope came even further out as a climate alarmist, a techno-skeptic, a degrowther, sympathetic to activists, and most improbably, a reader of the feminist futurist Donna Haraway, the author of A Cyborg Manifesto. He also emphatically endorsed the abandonment of fossil fuels, outing himself as a keep-it-in-the-ground guy as well. Now I urge you to listen to this piece from Lock the Gate Alliance that was on Facebook. This year, the Albanese government tried to fix the safeguard mechanism by imposing a 4.9% annual emissions reduction obligation across the entirety of the industries affected by the mechanism. But there's a problem. The way that individual facility emissions baselines are calculated is linked to the emissions intensity of those facilities and to the average emissions intensity of the industry to which they belong. That's a massive problem for coal mining because coal mines have a huge range of emissions intensities. And for 10 very, very large open-cut coal mines in New South Wales and Queensland that together account for around 30% of the coal produced in those states, the way that the calculations work means that they're actually going to have emissions baselines that increase year after year all the way out to 2030. That means they're going to be able to create offset credits for doing absolutely nothing to reduce their emissions. It's a huge problem because the greenhouse emissions that coal mines create are largely methane, a greenhouse gas with a very intense warming effect. It's been responsible for about a third of the warming the world has experienced so far, and we urgently need to reduce our emissions of methane to buy ourselves time to meet the temperature goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. This problem really needs to be fixed. Coal mines shouldn't be able to create offset credits for taking absolutely no action to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. And we should be doing everything we can to stop expanding and opening new open-cut coal mines rather than increasing them, just while everybody around Australia is starting to really feel the effects of catastrophic global warming. 
Join me now as we head to the Scientific American for a story by Andrea Thompson. It has the headline, South America's winter hot spell was 100 times more likely with climate change. August and September mark the end of winter in the Southern Hemisphere. But a large swathe of South America spent much of that period in deadly heat that felt much more like summer. Late in this past winter, millions of people in Brazil, Bolivia, Argentina and Paraguay experienced temperatures that exceeded 40 degrees Celsius. That's 104 degrees Fahrenheit. An event that was made 100 times more likely and significantly hotter by climate change, according to a new rapid analysis. Next we have a story from the Melbourne Age and it's by Mickey Perkins and Mike Foley. It has a headline, Tanya Plibersek doesn't have to consider climate change when approving coal mines. The story begins. The federal court has rejected a legal challenge against Federal Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek's assessment of two coal projects after the community group that launched the court action argued the minister's refusal to assess their climate harm was unlawful. Plibersek and two coal mining companies were taken to court by the Environment Council of Central Queensland, which claimed they had failed to protect living wonders, such as the Great Barrier Reef, from climate change. It was the first court challenge to Pilbasek over the assessment of a fossil fuel project. It centred on Whitehaven's plan to extend underground mining at the Narrabri Thermal Coal Mine until 2044, and MACH Energy's plan to expand open-cut thermal coal mining at Mount Pleasant in the Hunter Valley until almost 2050. Plibersek has not yet made a decision on either project. The next story from Perth Now is rather alarming. The headline for the story is Few Aussies Grasp Serious Urgent Climate Threat. The story is by Tracy Ferrier and it begins Most Australians don't see climate change as an extremely serious problem right now despite warnings that this decade is critical in the fight for a livable planet. Griffith University has released its annual climate action survey, which explores what thousands of Australians think about climate change. Most respondents, 57%, believe Australia has started to feel the effects of climate change. But only 15% say climate change is an extremely serious problem now. About 8% think its effects will be felt within the next decade and 13% say they'll be apparent within 50 years. The results expose a gap between how Australians perceive the threat and the urgency expressed by the global scientific community. Well, we've arrived again at the end of another episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's been great to have you along. Now, please, I'm keen to know what you think about this podcast, so please let me know at r.mclean7 at icloud.com. Don't hold back. Tell me what you think, good or bad please let me know. Also, I'd urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. Also, please share this with your friends. In fact, I'd love you to share it with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. Yes, it's one of those things that's going to involve all of us. It's going to require all of us to make a contribution to get the changes we want or the changes we need. And as the Canadian activist Naomi Klein said, to change everything, we need everyone. So, until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Now take care.